is sort of thinking to themselves, should I go to New Horizon? Then you absolutely should, because uh, you might meet a lovely young man or a lovely young woman there. Um, but I suppose being serious, I went to New Horizon many, many times uh, when I was here, uh, when I was sitting in one of those chairs, and then I was a leader there for uh, five or six years. Uh, I'm, I'm getting off the point. At yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah. What do you work at, Dave? I am a social worker. I work in hospital social work in Belfast Trust. Right. So I work across um, the Royal Victoria Hospital, Belfast City Hospital, the Cancer Centre, Musgrave Park right. Hospital, yeah. and the Matter Hospital. Okay. Yeah. And you're building a house at the moment? I am. We are renovating a house at the minute. Uh, we have been renovating a house for two and a bit years now. Yes, uh, the grand designs thing about it. <laughs> yeah. There's some sort of design going on, but I'm not sure whether it's grand or not, but we'll be moving in uh, at the end of May. What do you miss about Portadown area since you moved down to Smoky um, Belfast? I, I, miss, I miss home. I miss uh, where my folks live. Um, that is uh, al always coming back to there is, is always coming home. Uh, I miss that. Uh, I have two sisters who still live in Portadown. So, uh, and one in South Africa. And one in South Africa, yeah. Um, so I think coming, coming back here... Uh, always reminds me of what the 18 odd years that I spent here uh, and I have very very fond memories of that very fond memories of that yeah. you're a motorbike fanatic are you I am a biker yeah yeah um, for if you haven't watched a series called long way around or long way down with Ewan McGregor watch that uh, but yeah I am a biker have been for about a dozen years um, I, I enjoy just getting out and going up like the north oh, coast were you a bit of a footballer Yes, yes, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a field footballer. Um, but I, field I, sport supporting whom? Man City. Man City. Yeah. Any Liverpool fans in the house? Yeah, one, there's at least one. Uh, oh, a couple more there, there's a few hands going up. I hope you have a terrible day tomorrow, and I hope that we have a great day tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> he says that in love, of yeah, course. Absolutely, yes, yeah. all things. <laughs> yeah. I want to introduce you to Claire as well. Um, Claire has... Is known to some of you. I know some of you would know Claire very well, and some of you actually are related to Claire. Uh, she's a local girl, and she's just going to tell us a wee bit about herself now. I'm Claire. I am 46 years old. I'm married to Mark, and we have two great kids, Clara and Michael. At the minute, I work as a personal trainer and fitness instructor. Um, love that job. Love working with people. I grew up um, near Rich Hill with two younger brothers. Stephen was two years younger than me and Graham was five years younger than me so I was the eldest and uh, I just remember our home just filled with friends a lot and life was really good. That's Claire. Do you remember Claire, Dave? I don't actually. You no, don't? I don't. It wasn't one of your ex-girlfriends, no. No. Kelly <laughs> makes me sound like I've had a lot of ex-girlfriends. I have no I idea why. Not. In fact, I did not. Dave, early days, primary school days, um, there was a very significant thing happened, and Robbie Chambers was actually involved in it, which most significant things happened around Robbie. But, mm -hmm. uh, and I was disappointed at the end of the day that I wasn't involved and I didn't know about it, but tell us a wee bit of that experience, which wasn't a good experience for the family, a very difficult experience, and maybe coloured some of your thinking in the future. Yeah, um, I mean... It was back to the mid-80s. I mean, a, a lot of you will not be old enough, really, to know what Portadown was like many, many years ago and what Northern Ireland was like many, many years ago. 
um, in the kind of height of the troubles and what was going on there. Um, my, my father worked uh, as a police officer, um, and in the mid-80s, we lived in a, in, a, in, a, in a house in the state on the other side of town called Rectory Park. Um, and to put it, put it nicely, we were um, strongly invited to leave our house one evening. Um, I say that, that is putting it nicely. We were the, the, the locals in that area attacked a number of houses uh, in the estate of houses belonging to uh, police officers. Uh, and we were put out of our home. And as part of that, then we were uh, decanted. We moved to Waringstown. What age were you then, um, I think I, I'm tr- I was trying to remember. I was, I was in P3 uh, at the time. Um, so what's, what's that, seven, eight? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, 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 we moved away from Portadown. We moved away from all, we moved away from school, uh, all, all of us. We moved away from friends. Um, we were detached from community. We moved, we moved from the heart of a community that we were part of. And I was, I was very young at the time. And it was massively difficult for my parents, massively, uh, more so than it was uh, for us, because we, 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 were, we, were th- we were ejected, we were thrown out of uh, what was our community. Uh, and Robbie, time. if my memory serves me right, and, and others could tell me if it's correct, went in with friends mm-hmm. to help move you out mm-hmm. of the estate. And I deeply regret it when I heard that it had happened, that I couldn't have been involved because I wanted to make a statement in support of you guys. And did that change your thinking over the future about other issues um, about our country? And just I, I suppose politics? at the time, I, I, was pro- I, was, I was too young uh, to fully appreciate what had happened. Um, but I suppose as I've got that bit older, and I suppose uh, it was probably not until my, my 20s um, that I really began to kind of think about the landscape of, of Northern Ireland, what it actually means, and the, the whole, these old labels of Protestant and Catholic, and the adversity between these two, and what, this, what it actually means. Um, so yes, I, w- w- look, we are all tainted by circumstance. Anybody that says any different to you um, really needs to think a little bit more. We're all tainted by circumstance, and I think th- the people that did that uh, to us and to the other families on that night, and have done things over the years in the name of of uh, of an allegiance to a country or for God and for Ulster or whatever uh, label or words they want to come under, uh, I, I find just terribly, terribly, terribly sad um, uh, and misguided. Um, so that can either turn, it can either turn you to, uh, to anger uh, or it can actually turn you to think about, well, what, what way am I going to live my life? What, what kind of values am I going to reflect uh, in my life? And I suppose um, the way that I shape myself or have been shaped in my thinking and the way that I live my life um, has been um, because of who I believe God to be and what I believe uh, God has done from the inside of me out. So um, I suppose not to be, not to be so um, ruined or hurt or angered by, by that and by... M- I suppose many other things that have happened in my life, uh, but actually to be moulded, to be shaped, to be driven by uh, by by God. Mm-hmm. 
There are many folk I'm sure would say that that was mild in comparison to what they had to suffer, but mm-hmm. it wasn't insignificant at all. It wasn't insignificant. As I say, you know, I was at such a young age, it, it, it was absolutely more significant for my, for my folks. Um, but I think for me, as time has went by and as I've, you know, what it is to live in Northern Ireland, you, you still hear about the, the Protestant Catholic Loyalists, nationalists, whatever whatever labels there are, like it, it's still it's pervasive. Uh, it's across all of society, um, and you know, I, I I suppose I have that in my background, but it has it has not. I, I don't I don't I don't carry it as a weight. Yeah. I won't allow I won't allow it to be a weight. Yeah. Uh, and your folks were restored to the community again. Yeah, yeah which is great. Yeah. Claire has a story to tell, which some of you may well know the story. Um, but she's going to tell a bit of her story. Uh, please listen carefully to this, because this is, as everything has been, hopefully will be said tonight, is precious. So I came to know the Lord just as a five or six-year-old at a little club, and I just, I think that was just a very simple uh, faith that I just knew I needed God in my life. I then went on to go to school in Portadown and um, went to Queen's to study languages. University was good, and it was there that I got friendly with Mark, and... Yeah, he's a bit of a character, so uh, good sense of humour, and yeah, he was just he was just unique. So I guess um, eventually we decided to get married at about 24. I suppose when you get married and when you meet that person, you have a certain amount of dreams. Uh, we were married about two years, and I suppose we were we were starting to think, yeah, we've travelled a good bit now, and maybe to have kids young would be really nice. So. I think I was about 27 and we started to think of children and I suppose as the months went on I did think um, I really don't think this is going to happen and I, I think I just had a deep-seated feeling that we weren't going to have biological children for some reason or another. Not to say that it didn't stress me out and not to say that um, it was really difficult seeing everybody else make decisions and move on with their lives. It was about two years later then that um, we finally went for tests and we found out with a proper diagnosis that we would never be achieving parenthood in a biological way. David, to come back to yourself, um, there was a period of your life after when you were sort of teenage years that weren't the the greatest of years for you uh, and God did step into that but um, can you describe a wee bit of just that road that took you down that direction and, um, and just something of how you sure. felt God sure, yeah. spoke um, to you I, in that area? I, I came here from, I don't know, four, 14, whenever you're mm. allowed to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 14 to 18, I, I went to BB here. Uh, I came to church here. I went to school up in Portadown College. I, I, I ran around with a, 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 about a dozen guys who were all the same age. And I, I, was, I, was in, I was in church all the time. Uh, I was in and around church activities and different bits. So I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew about God. Um, I knew uh, Bible stories, everything that was going on. You know, all in there. Um, but it really wasn't on t- And I wasn't, I wasn't a bad lad, I don't think. Uh, maybe if you speak to my mother afterwards, she might tell you something different. Uh, I think it was an okay kind of a fella, uh, but I, 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 didn't, I didn't get it in here, didn't get it in here. 
Um, and I think whenever I, whenever I went to university then, uh, 1997, it was in around the turn of the year, into 98, it was around my 19th birthday. And I can remember being, the only way that I can describe it is being pursued by God, uh, pursue, pursue, coming after me uh, in that, not in a kind of heavy, threatening way, but in a way where he, I, I, I understood who God was in my heart, uh, uh, more so over and above knowing who God was in my head. Uh, and suppose I, I would ask you to kind of th- think about that uh, and, you know, if you maybe kind of track with that. Um, what, what do you know about God? What do you think about God? You know, have you this sort of argument for and against God? But what, is he, what, is, what has he actually done with your heart? Um, I suppose that, that was the kind of the big, the big light bulb moment for me, uh, and that I, I knew that I was absolutely loved by God, and it demanded some, some sort of response from me. Would you have um, said prior to that you, you were quite rebellious? Uh, I, 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 I had a rebellious streak, Gilly, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And again, my mother would probably share one or, more, one or two stories about that. I, I'll not share any. Um, but I, I, yeah, I was rebellious, yes. Um, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have a relationship with God in any shape or form. When, mm. when I look back on it now, yeah. you know, I didn't. I, I say I knew about God, but uh, my heart, in a sense, I hadn't, I hadn't opened uh, my heart to God uh, in those years. You may or may not realize it, but one of the leaders who was here at this time, a girl called Rosie McCavery, every, every time we met, mm-hmm. uh, she prayed for you. Yeah. We prayed for everything all around the world, but she always prayed for you specifically, and yeah. she rejoiced the night that you gave your testimony, spoke yeah. at the top of this hall one yeah. night. Yeah. Do you remember that occasion? I do, I do, yeah. yeah. I do, yeah. Share uh, something of the, the joy of that. Of yeah, um, there, there was something incredi- incredibly joyful uh, in that. There was something incredibly releasing about that, uh, and I think that probably ties into what I was saying about the kind of being pursued by God. Um, in that I, there, there was, there was release. I, I had this kind of sense that I, I, I tried to taste and see what the world had to offer to me, uh, and thinking I would find, you know, excitement and joy and satisfaction and energy and you know everything uh, that that came with that. Uh, but you know, there was just, there was just, a, there was just a, there was something in there, um, and also something in there. Like it was, it wasn't just a heart and emotional thing. Because you know, a relationship with God, walking with God, is not just about emotion. Uh, it's about you critically engaging, thinking about who God is as as, as Creator, and you know, viewing the world uh, through that kind of lens. Uh, but I, I I absolutely had my heart broken, but actually restored again then. So broken down and built back up again, which filled me with I suppose peace. Um, and joy, it gave me energy and enthusiasm, and it gave me then a, set, a new set of, of, of lenses, I think, then to kind of see the world, and then to deal with not only what had happened in life, but also all that, has, that, that was to happen, that has happened to me. I had these kind of, I had this new way of looking at and understanding, you know, what was going on, and I knew that then that, that, was, that was God you know, um, in, in, the, in the midst uh, of all of that. So a lot of what 
the experience of God was going to resource you for things that were yes. going to be ahead of you in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Claire is going to tell us uh, her story of uh, the next episode of her life, which was, to say earth-shattering is probably a pretty much accurate example of what actually happened to Claire next. So. Infertility is, is really tough. It's, it's very isolating and it makes you feel very inadequate and you feel very stuck. So while you're here, everyone else is running on, making decisions and seemingly in control of their lives and building their families. And we, we just felt, um, I guess, in a state of paralysis in some way. To deal with sort of what, what was happening with us, um, I remember we booked a holiday. The whole reason for that holiday, I guess, was just to, um, to get away, to get some distance to think. It was in September 2001, but I remember watching TV and seeing September the 11th unfold in front of you know the world's eyes. So we had to um, delay our holiday. And on the 11th of October, then a month later, we set off to, uh, to the States. We had ended up in Washington. That was our last couple of nights of the holiday. And on the last morning of that holiday, um, I went to get my mum and dad in the room and I left Mark in the lift with all of our bags. And when I got to my mum and dad's room, my dad was on the phone and he was at the window. And he wasn't talking, he was just listening. And my mum, as the, as the time progressed, which, which started to go in, in slow motion, it just felt like slow motion and everything was changing, but you couldn't quite put your finger on it. And my mum, quickly realising that something was badly wrong at home, started to ask my dad questions. So she started to, sit, to ask him what was wrong and he didn't respond, only listening. And she started to go through the names of the people in our family, like my granda's name and my nephew's name. He was only one at the time. And the third name that she got to was my brother Graham. And when she got to, to Graham's name, my dad just took hold of her arm and didn't say anything. And we knew, we just knew that he, that he was gone, that he was dead. And for some reason, I guess my dad was immobilised, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't say anything. And I just remember asking him, you know, how, how did he die? Um, did he, was he in the car? Was he with his friends? Was it a car accident? And he shook his head. And my next, next question, I have no idea why I asked it, but the, the severity of the situation and the, the awfulness of the moments, I said to him, did he take his own life? And he said yes. In those moments, the earth shifted on its axis for us. Um, and it never went back. Graham was still living at home and the night before we went on our holiday, my mum and dad, we stayed with them. I looked out of the living room door and he walked up the staircase and sort of, you know, motioned to me or something. And that was the last time I ever saw him alive. To go 10 days later, I, it was just unthinkable. It was just, it was just surreal. It just was like a really, the worst nightmare you could, you could ever be in. To lose a bright 23-year-old. He was working, he'd, he'd done his degree, he was playing for a local football team, he was doing really well with that. He had no obvious signs of depression or that he was struggling. To know that, that my brother, my baby brother, who was so awesome, had been in so much pain and wasn't able to reach out to me was really, really hard. I guess I'd never felt an emotional pain physically because it felt physical, it felt like a trauma. It felt like being hit by a truck, you know. You can't work out how a God who loves you and has plans for you could allow it to happen.
in the midst of it all, you knew that he could have saved him and he could have rescued him, but he didn't. All my life I'd been taught that God was good and all my life I believed, for 28 years I believed that God was good, but it didn't feel like there was any good in any of this. I, I learned over time and through wisdom that other Christians brought to me, I guess, that God was big enough to handle all our grief and our disappointment and our infertility and the things that we would never have chosen and actually that maybe we felt a bit shameful of or and just this this huge weight of suicide and loss you come to like a fork in the road and you either choose this way or you choose God's way and that hurts that's painful but in the pain he meets us there in his plan Green was only going to live 23 years that at 23 he was going to go and he was going to meet God face to face. And that was not what I wanted for him. That was certainly not what my parents or brother or anyone else who loved him wanted for him. But ultimately to know that he left this earth in pain and met God in peace was just amazing. That's powerful stuff, um, Davy. And yeah, not sh- sure that we shouldn't take a moment of silence just mm. to ponder that. But um, as most of you know, I work in the NE department in the hospital, and I vividly, vividly, vividly remember the day that your mum and you were sitting in a cubicle. I could, I could take you to the cubicle that you sat in, and um, I could see from your face and just way you were and your way your mum was that things were not good and my boss my dear friend Charlie Fee who's a fine fine Christian man who was your neighbour over the hedge mm-hmm. uh, was looking after you I wasn't quite aware initially what the diagnosis was but I knew that it wasn't a good diagnosis and you were diagnosed with a lymphoma called Hodgkin's disease which is not a good thing to have mm-hmm. did he that must have been, like Claire, that must have been a difficult, difficult period for, for you, for your family, for everybody. And to find God in the middle of all of that, um, and just how you went through all of that, and is, well, it's your story. Uh, yeah, so I was, I was 21 uh, at that time, and um, it was the final year of my university, and uh, long story short, I'd been doing a bit of work, feeling really tired, went up to uh, A&E's, Gilly said Charlie Fee, doc up there, uh, had you know, done, their, done their job diligently and ultimately was, was diagnosed with this th- form of cancer called Hodgkin's disease, which is cancer of the lymphatic system. Um, and I had a year of, of chemo and radiotherapy. Um, it it, it, it feels, in, in some sense, I've talked to somebody about this recently, it feels in some sense like a lifetime ago and it feels that it wasn't me, and I don't know quite what that's about, but at the time, it was, it was like, what on earth? And, you know, the inevitable question, why? Why? Why me? Um, and, you know, I can remember s- sitting in the room with the consultant at the time, getting the diagnosis, and it was, it was like one of those movie moments, you know, where you, if you're, like, watching the movie, and, and somebody's given this news, or they're thinking about something, and it sort of 
hones in on their face and you can hear all the chatter in the background, but you know that you're sort of only just there and you've got your blinkers on and nothing else. You can't really hear anything else. You can't really think about anything else apart from the kind of one thing. Uh, and I can remember the consultant talking away and explaining different bits and pieces, but I just had heard, I just heard this word cancer and then I, I, was, I was stuck uh, on that. Um, I suppose it, it, yeah, it, it did open up all these questions uh, about why, God, why, what on earth. I mean, you're, you're a God, as, as Claire was saying in the video there, you know, you're a God of love. This is, this is not, surely this is not what you want for me as a son, uh, as a son of yours. This is not what you want for me. As Claire says, as a daughter of, 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 of God's, this is not what you want for me. Um, but I think at the time, and as, as I've got older, and, you know, as we get older, we can, we, can, we can look back on hindsight. We can look back with, with a, I suppose, a degree of wisdom, if I can say that. Um, and that we under, I think we understand life a little, a little bit more, a little bit more. And we're, I think if, the way that I've understood the kind of story of God, and when I, mean, when I talk about the story of God, I, I, I talk about the Bible, I talk about Genesis to Revelation, that whole sweep of the whole narrative of the whole story of God, and that you start at this perfect place, this beautiful, beautiful place, which God has created, He has spoken and He brought into being, and then just the, the downfall and the brokenness that comes with that, and as you track through the Old Testament, you track through the New Testament, the, the coming of Jesus, you just see it ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs, all, all over the place, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows um, of the circumstances in which people have went through. And then you get to see the, the, the perfection and the beauty of Christ as he comes. And then we get to the, the point in Revelation where, where Jesus will return again. And that it comes full circle. The beauty and the perfection of the beginning will come again. And I think there's this tension that we live in now between what has been and what is yet to come. And I think that, that that's... that's that's where I, 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 where I find myself in, in the, the specifics of that moment. Um, and that's where, that, that is what life is about. It's an incredible tension between the beauty and the perfection of God and the brokenness of this world, both in an individual sense and in a collective global sense. Um, What's the cross mean to you in all of that? It, it's where it, it brings me back to the beauty and the perfection. Because um, if I don't think about that, and if I don't think about what Jesus has done for me and for the world, I will be stuck in the brokenness. Uh, I will be, I will be sad. I will be bitter. I will be angry. I will be frustrated. Uh, I'll be incredibly selfish. Um, but when I think about what, who God is, what He has done for me and for us in Jesus, it reminds me and it lifts me out of that, and it takes me back. To the promise and the hope of the beauty and the perfection, but it also helps me see the beauty and the perfection that is around me. That it's not—I'm not just waiting for this sort of end goal, uh, sort of holding fast until that. But actually, there's incredible beauty, and there's incredible um, evidence and on dis the, the display of the beauty of God in everyday life. If you look at yourself in the mirror, not to be so cheesy here, but that is the most—the most. The most beautiful thing. Uh, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. Um, I think one of, one of the, 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 the most untrue things, um, I'll come back to this in, in a few minutes, when I kind of, Gilead asked me to, to leave a verse with you, leave a thought with you. 
Um, one of the worst stories that we're ever told is that the, the universe revolves around ourselves, and that we are the most important thing, and that we, we must get everything in the instant that if, if, we, if we want it enough, it'll happen for us. That's complete and utter nonsense. Um, please, please, please do not get sucked into that. And if you don't get what you want or what you think you need, it's not the end of the world. It is not the end of your world. So one lie is that um, the world revolves around you. The other lie is that you don't matter and that you don't count. So again, there's, there's two extremes there, uh, neither of which are true, neither of which are true. Mm. You find yourself somewhere in the middle of that, where you are a, a beautiful creation uh, and that you are so special and that you're, you're, you are so important uh, to the God of the Bible. Um, but the other part of that is that um, the, the extreme of that is that you're, that, you're, that you're worthless and you count for nothing. That is, that is not true. Uh, that's another lie, I think, that the world can try and sell us, um, that your life does not matter in any shape or form, that you, you, have, you, came, you came from nothing, you came from an explosion, um, and you know, we, we, we evolved and, and there's no life or no meaning uh, to, to where we are currently. That's, in my mind, that's complete and utter nonsense as well. Uh, so we find ourselves um, in, the, in the middle of that somewhere. Uh, and again, in that, if I can call it, a, a beautiful tension. Our significance is really found in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. Prior to that, we are self-centered, mm-hmm. running around circles, trying to fulfill what we want without any realization in the fact that we're fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. Your Hodgkin's disease was cleared, Davey, mm-hmm. which is great, mm-hmm. and uh, that's brilliant. There are others who have, um, have got uh, terminal illnesses um, who haven't come down that road, and um, they're still rejoicing in Jesus Christ uh, yeah. because of the big picture that he brings to us. Let's listen again to something that Claire has to tell us about her next step uh, at her moment of grief. In those months and years um, following Graham, it just, life felt very dark. It felt very slow, uh, like a grind. And I guess in many ways we felt our grief was compounded because we were still waiting on children. And childlessness pretty much sucks. It was difficult and arduous. I guess neither Mark nor I thought that um, it would be a process of about five years long. We had chosen the route of intercountry adoption, so uh, Colombia, South America was the country where our papers went out to, and as the process goes on, it, it gets more and more out of your control, so the papers leave, and you've done all your interviews, you've done everything here, you've done all your bits of paperwork, and there's not really a lot left to do, except pray. I spent all night trying to get through, and eventually I got someone on the phone, and when they, when they got our name and our adoption uh, information, and he started to sort of hesitate on the phone and yeah, yeah, we've, um, yeah, we've, we were at adoption panel yesterday and we've matched you with a little girl and I couldn't, I just couldn't take it in. To, to hear about Clara, to know that we had a child was just, in every moment, everything just changed. So the way everything had changed uh, the years previous, this was, this was just like, this was just, this was summer, this was spring, this was, 
this felt like the shekels of infertility just falling off. The morning that we, we woke up in Dublin, waiting to get our, going to get our flight, um, I just remember Mark, who loves Christmas, saying it was like Christmas morning. This is like Christmas morning. And going to Columbia, and the next day then, knowing that we would be driving off in a two-hour drive, meeting our child, who was eight, just over eight months old, was just, was just unthinkable. And about 10 minutes later, when they carried her up the stairs, and turned around and we got to see her for the first time. Well, that was just, in one look at her, God restored to us everything that we felt we'd lost in the years previous. As he was in those moments, you were realizing that he was in all the steps previous, that he had always been there. Debbie, you were saying that you maybe have a verse that you could share with us. Um, which would be very helpful. So, yeah, um, I I actually have twelve verses. Twelve um, verses, okay. <laughs> but um, as I said, I I was um, I sort of talked there a little bit about the I suppose the tension that we live in, um, and as as followers of Jesus, um, as disciples of Jesus, um, we we have the opportunity, uh, I think, the responsibility of, of living. Uh, for him, but I think one of the important things uh, to to remember in all of that is you know what I was talking about there that uh, that beautiful uh, but very difficult tension that we live in in the world. Um, you may well uh, at this point in your lives have had some very difficult circumstances, and I can guarantee you that in the years ahead, as you move into adulthood and employment and all of that that comes and relationships and family and, and different things. Uh, there will be more, I can, I can guarantee you that. Um, but what I would say to that and what Claire has shared there is that you know, we, we know that God is, is, is in the midst of that. We know that God is here now as we sit here and, and as I talk and ramble, we know that God is here. Uh, he gives us that promise. Um, and the verses that I wanted to leave with you were um, from Matthew 5. Uh, they're actually the, the Beatitudes. Um, and it speaks, I think, they, we've just finished a series in the church that I go to in Belfast, uh, Redeemer Center. We've, we've just recently finished a series on this. Uh, it talks about the, I suppose it, it talks about the reality of what it is to be a believer uh, in Jesus. Um, and even in the midst of such difficulty and such strife uh, and such challenge and such hurt and such pain, uh, that there is blessing in that. Uh, there is an even greater blessing that is to come. So I want to read these to you. Um, I'm going to read from the message. Um, so I think that the, some of the language there, I suppose, is a little bit more accessible uh, to us, I think. So this is, it talks about when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said to them. And this is when I, this is when I, I want to speak this out over you guys. I'm speaking it to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Uh, and I sense I'm, I'm, if you allow me, I'm going to preach to you just for a couple of minutes. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed 
when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You are blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, full of care, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes prosecution, persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you or discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when this happens. Give a cheer even. For, they, for though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And you know that you're in good company. Thank you, brother. We're going to listen just to Claire's last um, comment to us and uh, a sense of hope that she wants to give uh, as she preaches to herself and preaches to us as well. So let's listen to Claire again. Our second adoption process unfortunately turned out to be equally as long and as arduous and as difficult. Our social worker came and gave us a piece of paper that would change our lives and Clara's lives and on it they had uh, Michael's profile and uh, in November that year, a few months later, we went to meet our son and he was four years old and he rocketed into our lives um, and just the same way that Clara came to us as a little baby and changed our lives that day you know the first things that he said to his foster care was they're my mum and dad we went into adoption just wanting to to bring children into our lives to to help them and and to build a unit and we could never understand i guess why it took so long but if it had been a moment before it wouldn't have been michael and if it had been a moment after it wouldn't have been him either and there was just perfection in that plan. God has a heart for the vulnerable, for the orphans, the widows and the children who are in need. We all need a hope. We all need something to hope in or someone to hope in. And that hope needs to be certain. It needs to be something that does not disappoint. And the cross is the place that does not disappoint. I'm sure there are people, someone who is listening disappointed, who's feeling hurt, let down, broken. How, how can I go on? To me, um, the cross of Jesus Christ is the place that it all starts to change. A vegan. 
I'm going to ask the band to come up and David and I are going to just pray for, for uh, here at home. So if they could come on ahead up, because we'll move into the praise immediately afterwards, if that's okay. And we're going to stand because it's quite important to stand to pray. But you, you keep seated. I, I'm going to pray for Davy and his dear wife, Karis. And some of the stuff that we've talked about tonight is really very real for them too. So pray for them. And David then is going to pray for all of you guys. Um, I appreciate that many of you are under pressure with exams, etc., etc., etc. So um, I'll pray, and then David's going to pray first, and then mm-hmm. hand over to Lucy just to lead us in praise. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for being with us this evening. I want to thank you for the fact that you have a plan of redemption um, which you understand clearly and that we can be a part of that as we give ourselves to Jesus Christ. I thank you for Dave. I pray your blessing upon him. I thank you for all that you've done through his life, those periods of life where where there were crises that uh, you brought them through, bring him to a point of salvation, bring him through the illness that he had, bring him to meet Caris and to have um, this um, unity together with Caris. Father, just pray your blessing upon them and in their church in Belfast that you'd watch over them and protect them. Help David his work as a social worker and, and get in the house prepared and all these things that are important to him at this moment in his life. But thank you for, for him and for what you've done in his life. And we praise you for that, Father. Father, we also thank you for Claire and her husband Mark and their family. We thank you for all you've done in her life. And I pray your protection. She has set herself out there to, to produce this with other people, um, to share something of, of the gospel good news to people, even going through difficult days. But pray to protect both Dave and Claire. As Satan will say, look, I'm going to get at these guys and make them feel like nothing. Father, we pray in the name of Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. you protect them and you'd watch over them and go with them. So, Lord, we commit um, these folk to you in the loving uh, love and care of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Father, I thank you. Um, I thank you for this place, um, what it has meant to me and countless others over, uh, over years. God, thank you. Um, Father, I thank you that you're here. thank you that in the midst of this room, as we gather tonight, as we've sung as we've talked, as we'll sing again, as we go into the evening, God, I thank you that you are here in the midst of it, um, that you're ministering to us, that you're speaking to us, that you're, that you're poking and prodding at us, uh, God, because you're alive, and that you're here, and that you're present, and you're real. Um, and Father, I thank you for all the guys that are in this room. I thank you that they're here on a Saturday evening. I thank you for the, the friendship circles that they have, and uh, all the connections uh, that they have, and I pray that you would um, uh, continue to poke and prod at them, um, reveal who you are to them, God, um, reveal your love for them, uh, Father, that they are utterly, utterly loved, and that they are known by you, and that you pursue them, that you want them, God, you want them for yourself. You want, uh, you want them to be known by you, God. You want to be in relationship with them. Uh, you want to be their God. You want to draw them next to you. You want to draw them near to you, God, uh, and walk with them uh, in life. 
in the ups and the downs, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Father, you want to walk with them. Uh, you want to love and support and give them all that they need, um, not to be outside of any challenge or difficulty, but that you will provide all they need for those challenges and for those difficulties. Um, I thank you that you are first and foremost, that you are a God of love, uh, that you are a God who calls us uh, to do something with that. You're a God that calls us and asks us to respond to that, to live a life uh, that, that is out of love and out of service uh, to you, that it looks to love and to serve those that are around us. So I pray, God, that you will um, just reveal more and more of yourself uh, to the folks that are in this room, to all the, to all the guys that are here, God. Speak to them. Reveal uh, your love to them, God. Pull them in. Draw them near uh, to you, God. Bless them in, in just this exam season, God. All that's coming up. Uh, for those that are just doing yearly exams, for those that are doing, you know, really significant ones, whatever's going on. Uh, Father, bless them. Give, them. give them good concentration as their heads in the book. Give them good sleep. Give them good rest. Uh, I pray for, you know, opportunity for fun and friendship in the midst of all of that as well. Uh, yeah, God, just bless them, uh, whatever, uh, wherever they find themselves in these days. God, bless them. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so just as we finish up tonight, um, we've heard so much um, from 